Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to some of the events, at least, that will play out in the headlines over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means public sector borrowing, or put another way, how much is it going to cost us all one way or another? We'll discuss confidence levels in the Eurozone and ask how much longer can Japan go on printing money? And on the corporate front, it's a busy time for M&A, so place your bets. I'm joined by Richard Fletcher, business editor of The Times, Philip Aldrich, our economics editor and commentator, and Deirdre Hipwell, The Times mergers and acquisitions correspondent. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Philip, let's start with you. Public sector net borrowing. What are the new figures going to tell us? That the deficit is coming under control. Um, Obviously, uh, the public sector borrowing figures are all about the public finances. And um, uh, you've got tax revenues on the one hand and you've got spending on the other. And tax revenues are doing pretty well this year compared with what had been forecast. This is obviously because the recovery has been reasonably strong and, uh, and that's actually, uh, and we've, you know, we've continued to have a pickup in, in both wages and uh, in employment. So as a result, the, the tax revenues are, are doing are doing a bit better than expected. So so you'll see some some positive news there, and I'm sure we'll have a gloating Chancellor at the end of it as he says that, yeah, he's well on target to hit his deficit. Uh, I really want to know when Phil became a commentator as well as economics editor. That's a, that's a promotion in title there, isn't it? But I'm sure the listeners don't actually want to know that. So um, let's ask a serious question. So do we think that... Are we actually moving to the, to the situation where we're not just doing this by cuts, which obviously has been the criticism of the Chancellor? Are we starting to move to where actually we're getting growth to reduce the deficit? Yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. The, the way that you'll see that, I, I guess, or the way that you will see that is, is through uh, reduction in, in uh, public sector spending because obviously that goes on welfare and you know a part of that is the job seekers allowance and you know as as the uh, w- as the labor market improves uh, through growth through economic recovery there'll be lower spending in uh, in areas like that and uh, and and of course conversely on the other side as you get more people in work the the tax receipts pick up and also obviously corporates as they're more profitable there's there's more corporation tax so um, you know you 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 see an automatic rebound in uh, in the deficit you and that has happened in previous recoveries as well it's very clear that that the the pick the fall in in borrowing tends to happen more quickly than than uh, forecasters expect could be the first year where we really uh, see something properly positive in the in the deficit numbers against the forecast which obviously we've got a five percent deficit so the, so the position is still pretty weak overall no, no so we are finally repairing the uh repairing the roof whilst the sun is shining and yeah yeah that's certainly 
certainly seems to be the case. You've got as as long as we've got growth. I mean, growth in the in the last quarter was 0.7 percent, which is above trend. Car- Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, said uh, that the US and the UK in the advanced world are the only countries which you know are clearly growing above trend. I mean, we've we've got a we've got a genuine recovery. We're genuinely making up the the lost ground, and and you should genuinely be seeing the benefits of that through the you know through the through the borrowing numbers. There's still a huge amount of cuts to come and they are going to inflict an enormous amount of pain. Do you think that that could stymie growth? It's certainly going to dent confidence in a lot of people, isn't it? It is. uh, The the cuts that are planned are already already factored into the forecast, but so the uh, deficit reduction uh, projections do reflect... Um, uh, the, the fact that there are going to be growth sapping cuts uh, as, a, as a result. Are economists worried about the tax credits? Because we, we are going to see these this cutting tax credits, aren't we, come into force from April. And we obviously saw, we've, we've seen some concern uh, um, even among Conservative MPs about the effect that this may have. And it does slightly remind me of back when Gordon Brown made those changes to the 10p tax rate and uh, there was a rebellion. Because... Come April, we are going to see, you know, I remember from the budget and, the, the, you know, those tables we produce in, in, mm. in the Times yeah. budget, there are, there are going to be, at the bottom of the income levels, there are going to be people who are going to be significantly uh, worse off, you know, by thousands of pounds a year. Yeah. Um, and that is, that people must, there must be some sections of, you know, retail and people who are, you know, uh, reliant on those sorts of people to drive growth who could be hit quite hard, couldn't they? I mean, yeah, so I, mean I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if this becomes a massive political issue, especially with um, the new Jeremy Corbyn-led Labour Party, you know, pressing it uh, hard um, at the dispatch box. The There has been, there's there's already rumours that, that the government is going to try and do something to mitigate the tax credit cut for, for those at the bottom end before April next year. And the, obviously the living wage is supposed to offset some of that, but the Institute for Fiscal Studies has done the analysis... And, you know they are um, they are the oracle on all things uh, like this, and and they say that regardless of uh, the you know the increase in the living wage, people at the bottom end who are losing their tax credits are going to be five hundred and fifty pounds off, uh, worse off a year um, at, at least on average. So um, this is this is it's a it's a very live issue, and you can you can imagine that there will be that the that the political pressure will be so great is that 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 uh, the treasury will have to do something to mitigate this. Well. I mean, t- talking about confidence levels and spreading that on as you were there, looking across to the Eurozone, it's still our, nominally our biggest trading partner. We're hearing new confidence levels there, but given everything that's happened in the geopolitical sense, clearly in, in, in Europe, do you expect, generally speaking, that consumers are confident over there? Yeah, consumer confidence has been picking up in the eurozone, which is good news for us as well. Surprising uh, too, isn't it? I just thought. Well, it's you know, Greece is. I think there's there's grease fatigue isn't there and there is there is sort of a uh, reluctant uh, sort of resolution uh, to the crisis for the time being anyway so the eurozone is, uh, countries there are beginning to just push on you've got quantitative easing which is doing its bit there's been a massive massive stimulus to the banks through both through quantitative easing and through other measures that the european central bank has has undertaken and you're beginning to see investment levels pick up business confidence is is rising recruitment is also picking up uh, fast the latest 
latest consumer confidence figures in August were, were strong. The private sector is growing at its, at its fastest rate in four years uh, in the eurozone. So, I mean, there, there, there are genuine signs that the, the Greece crisis has been a sort of sideshow to what is a, you know, uh, there, there's an underlying recovery happening there. You know, that said, it's basically being fuelled by the European Central Bank and the sort of extraordinary stimulus measures. And of course this week we saw Inditex, which is the world's largest clothing retailer, saying that they had recorded a 26% increase in first half sales and they were saying that even in their home country of Spain they were starting to see you know, quite improved consumer confidence, which I think feeds into that point. Yeah, and the fact that I see a lot of Chinese tourists are coming over and spending in Europe now, there's a noticeable effect, which seems well, yeah, almost the a Well, yeah, the euro has collapsed in value, so suddenly the, uh, the euro is an even greater destination, uh, let alone all the cultural uh, cities and uh, iconic uh, monuments that they have for everyone to go and look at. So Americans now fly in here to do their cheap shopping in the same way we used to fly to the new, you know, we used to fly to New York. Well, I didn't personally, but um, some people flew to New York to do their cheap not shopping. Not here, not in the UK. But, but flying yeah, to Paris, fly, flying to Paris it is a hell of a lot cheaper there. This, the euro has devalued de- considerably against the dollar. So. Well, I've got you here. I just wanted to ask, finally, on the on the economics front about Japan. I mean, they were downgraded uh, rather humiliatingly by three of the world's major uh, credit rating agencies. And the fact is, a lot of people have their ISAs and their pensions to some exposed. Abenomics has been going on, what, for three years now? I mean, when is someone actually going to say, this ain't working? Well, Shinzo Abe is not going to say that. He's um, uh, He said that he's only halfway through his programme. Because there were three arrows to Abenomics. It was uh, it was monetary stimulus. It was a massive QE programme. Um, uh, then there was the then there was a fiscal uh, uh, stimulus, so, so public spending programmes. Uh, and on the third arm, um, there was reform. And on apart from they have done a hell of a lot of QE. Uh, they did do they did do some fiscal stimulus, but actually the fiscal position is tightening now. So at that that arrow has been put back in the quiver and as as for reforms uh, there's two issues the two massive issues there there's an un, uh, the there's women are not properly uh, represented in the labor force and and uh, the japanese could could do with a lot more immigration to help uh, to help lift uh, to to help lift growth and, uh, and and neither of those reforms seem to be coming through at any pace so he's got he, he says he's halfway through um we we'll hope we see um a lot more on the reform side and it doesn't look like it's going particularly well now that the economy's in the most recent quarter fallen by 0.4% as a Fletcher, can I just object to that rather poor analogy of arrow quiver? <laughs> As a Fletcher. Very poor, very poor. It wasn't intended, was it, Phil? I'll stick up for you there, <laughs> just about. Anyway, it's also a busy time on the mergers and acquisition fronts. We've got uh, decisions on Royal, the old Royal Sun Alliance, RSA, as I must now call it, and Zurich. And, of course, the money's on the tables. Place your bets. Betfair and Paddy Power. Did you hit, well, mergers and acquisitions. It's an exciting time. But, I mean, first of all, what about these bookmakers? Is it going to yeah. come off? Decision time, isn't it? Well, I think next week, you know, in, in M&A terms, I think it'll be hard to beat this week, where, obviously, you know, we've had possibly the biggest the deal of the decade SAB Miller and ABM Bev but next week should be pretty big too we have two big deadlines looming so as you say um, Betfair and Paddy Power you know they've got a deadline uh, for Wednesday and obviously it's the coming together a merger of equals of you know two of the biggest gambling companies in Europe and it's just part of the wider consolidation in this sector. I mean, we've had, you know, BWIN, GVC, everybody is, uh, you know, consolidating and, and trying to um, get greater scale at what is quite a challenging time 
on a wider level within the gaming sector. And then on Tuesday we have RSA and Zurich uh, deadline looming and obviously Zurich has, has come back and said, you know, we'll pay £5.50 a share and RSA have said that they might recommend that. So the last four weeks they've been doing some due diligence and I guess we'll have to see and nobody else has come out of of the woodwork, so one would think that RSA is probably going to recommend that deal. I mean, it is all very exciting, but I do feel at the moment, at this moment, I should make an apology to the listeners because, as financial journalists, we all get very excited about these M&A deals. But let's be honest: seventy to ninety percent of them uh, destruct value. If you if you look at any academic study, and uh, yet you know, uh, time and time again. You know, as financial journalists, we get very excited by them. Not surprisingly, because they're big numbers. You know, uh, we managed to put a 330 billion value on the SAB Miller AB in bed deal before it even been uh, launched. Um, but you know, they do destroy value, and it's not difficult. You know, RBS buying ABN Amro, Morrison's buying Safeway, AOL buying Time Warner. You know, and yet we. We, you know, we all we we just continue. It's a whole industry of investment banking that's just designed to generate these deals, push these deals through, make big fees, and and we're kind of sometimes I feel, you know, as financial journalists, we end up being cheerleaders rather than than critics, and 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 uh, so it's a sort of public uh, apology uh, uh, well, for me as, as business editor. Well, that is true. I mean, uh, you know, the second biggest deal I think of all time that you know AOL, AOL trying to buy Time or buying Time Warner is now actually ranked as the, the worst deal in history but I do think in certain sectors um, some mergers and acquisitions make sense and some have been proved to you know it, increase shareholder value and actually I would argue in, in the beverage sector consolidation has has worked there because you need scale to reach all of these markets and you know the getting your alcohol into you know thousands of pubs in China or America you know you need scale and I think you know, in at least in that sector, it, consolidation has actually worked. Actually, from an economics point of view, these yeah. these things are not you know, these big deals, big mergers are not that good because the money, uh, the, the the driving impetus behind them is to cut costs, cut cut jobs, um, uh, to it, it, to put two businesses together to make uh, investment cheaper. And uh, what we'd love to see is more investment and more jobs being created. And and this is and it's often it's often the case that uh, that it's sort of short term, you know, exciting you know, vision visions of like big uh, business isn't necessarily the best thing for uh, for economic growth. Yeah, and Deirdre was obviously right in that actually the beverage sector is one of those sectors where it has uh, created value, although I'd argue it created a pretty poor product in terms of lager, but that's another debate for another day. Um, but that, that is a sector where it has created value. Hopefully that's enough to uh, ensure that I'm not blacklisted from every invite from an investment banker forevermore. But, but in general, I do worry that actually we sort of get sucked into this sort of, uh, uh, sort of M&A boom and 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 it's quite bizarre it's the only sort of you know we it, it, a bit like sort of lobby journalists we end up sort of listening too much to investment bankers who let's face it are the cheerleaders for these deals and and certainly have a interest in in promoting them and and perhaps glossing over the fact that if you look at you know for example the Morrison Safeway deal which I covered incredibly uh, closely for a couple of years I mean that took a superb retailer and has destroyed it and 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 uh, uh you know that that's the fact you know if morrison's hadn't done that deal 
it would have been, it would it would be in a far better position uh, than it is today, and um, that makes me quite sad. I suppose we might still have Safeway too, and that makes me sad. <laughs> anyway, that's just about it for now, and uh, lots to talk about there. But remember, you can keep up to date with all those events and the financial news. That's on the Pop Up Now Business Now Live blog, I should say. That's on our website, and if you are a Time subscriber, don't forget sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails. And if you don't have a subscription, we're keeping that special one pound offer open. Just go to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, don't forget you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Richard Fletcher, Deirdre Hipwell, and Philip Aldrich. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them. So am I, for that matter. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.